In a couple of weeks, we are going to start a series going through the book of Joshua. But today, as we kick off this new year in 2020, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 2 as Solomon seeks to instruct his son. This is what Solomon says. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Father, Your word teaches that through the proclamation of your word, your spirit attends to it, empowers it, and transforms it and changes it in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Father, we do pray this day that you would send your spirit to accompany your word, that we would be changed and shaped by it. So, Lord, that we would seek you above all else, and that in seeking you, Lord, we would find wisdom. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we have embarked on a new year. 2020 is upon us, and it promises to be an interesting and challenging year with a lot of changes up ahead. As a pastor, election years are always very interesting, particularly for those that are pastors in the greater D.C. metro region. There is, we all kind of recognize that these are um, particularly interesting cycles. And as senior pastor of Cornerstone, this will now be my third presidential election cycle, my fourth on staff, and my sixth as a member of Cornerstone. And so as we enter into this year, you know, my calling and commitment is to the Word of God and to proclaim the one true hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And election years are always particularly unsettling. If you think through the last several elections and in the ways that the name of Christ has been used, what it 
means to be Christian, how Christians are portrayed, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In last election cycles between Clinton and Trump, Obama and Romney, Obama and McCain, Bush and Kerry, Bush and Gore, and the one before that, those are all the ones that have been connected with at Cornerstone. What's particularly unsettling is how the name of Christ is used, how it is abused, how it is manipulated, how it is maligned, and how it is distorted international media and by our politicians and by all kinds of other people. And there hasn't been an election cycle yet where from this pulpit, where there has been biblical exposition as well as from other pulpits in our community and around the D.C. metro region, where there is solid biblical exposition, which is interpreted wrongly as a political endorsement of one kind or another. And so as we enter into a challenging year and a fascinating year, the Word of God is very clear on how we are to approach changing times and indeed how we are to prepare for changing times. And the answer is not complicated, but it is very simple. The charge of Scripture for us is this, is to seek wisdom. Now, seeking wisdom is not a given. This passage encourages us to seek wisdom in many times in many different ways, but it begins noting the conditional nature of seeking wisdom. It starts off in verse 1 saying, My son, Solomon talking to his son, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, he's saying, it's not a given. But if you are one who is going to listen and wants to listen, if you are one who wants to incline your heart towards understanding, if you are one who wants to, who will call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, that means that you say, you know what, I don't understand everything. There is a broader perspective beyond myself. I'm actually interested in growing in knowledge because I am concerned about the truth and concerned about the nature of truth. And so Solomon says, if you call out for wisdom, if you call out for insight, if you receive it, if you seek it like silver, if you search for it as hidden treasure, notice how he is describing what it means to pursue wisdom and how it, what it means to seek it. It's not a given, but it's something that we devote ourselves to in a way that we need to seek wisdom and pursue it and be on a quest for wisdom that is consistent, that is insistent, and that is persistent. Wisdom is a gift that God gives. It is also a virtue to be cultivated. And the chapter before would inform us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that it is the foundation of wisdom. Wisdom is not automatic, and you never become wise by drifting. And you never become wise by just simply going through life and by bouncing through life's experiences, and you never become wise through complacency. Ray Ortland, when another pastor reflecting on this, gave this observation. He said, you do, not, you do not need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. 
You don't need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. You only need to settle into complacency. And again, just a few verses before this, Proverbs Solomon instructed his son, his son saying, the complacency of fools destroys them. Wisdom does not just happen. A few years, summers ago, my brother-in-law and I were out boogie boarding in the ocean. And as we were out there, we were right next to each other, and we were waiting for the big wave to come. We were there floating over waves, waiting for the big wave to come, waiting to catch a good ride. And we were chatting, and we were talking, and we kept looking for the wave to come and looking for the wave to come. And then all of a sudden, the lifeguard paddles up next to us on the surfboard. And we turn and look at him, and we're like, what are you doing here? And he looks at us and says, do you know where you are? Like, turn around. And we turned around, and we were way out into the ocean. I mean, we were so far out into the ocean that when he blew his whistle multiple times, neither one of us heard it, heard the whistle being blown. What happened? Did we intend to be adrift at sea? By no means. What happened is that we were there, we weren't particularly paying attention. There were winds that were blowing, there were currents that were carrying, and before we knew it, we were sent way out to sea, far beyond anywhere that we had imagined that we would be, anywhere that we had hoped to be. What's the implication of this for the Christian life? It is simply this. No one gets married intending to divorce. No one takes a job intending to get fired. No one becomes a Christian planning to forsake their relationship Jesus, with Jesus Christ. Drift happens. Foolishness happens. Compromise and complacency happens. Wisdom does not. In fact, it is something that Proverbs is telling us needs to be sought after. Now, he begins by describing this as this conditional statement, that there is a cause and there is an effect as we seek wisdom that we need to pursue it, and that if we seek it, then certain things are going to occur. We begin to see this here in verses 5 and 9. He says, if you seek it, if you search for it like silver, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pro- knowledge." will be pleasant to your soul. Now, oftentimes people read Scripture, but especially Proverbs, incorrectly. Is that they read the Proverbs and they read them as rewards that are granted. Meaning that they're stating, saying, if you do this, if you're a good person, God's going to bless you. He'll give you a reward. If you do this, this is going to be the reward for your obedience. But that's not how Proverbs is structured, nor how Scripture is written. Rather, it is identifying in Proverbs, as Solomon gives this wisdom, he is simply identifying there is a cause and there is an effect. There is a basic ordering to the way things occur. A different example of this would be a bit like exercise. If you exercise, you might get the reward of winning a race. You might not. But if you exercise, you might get a reward of winning the race, and winning the race would be the reward for your exercise and discipline. That would be obedience and reward. But cause and effect looks like this. If you exercise, you will be in better shape. 
If you exercise, you will be in better shape. That is just simply what happens. It's not a better shape. It's not a reward for what you're doing. It is a cause and an effect. It is a consequence of your actions. So unfortunately, people look at the Christian life not as a cause and effect, but they look at it as God's going to reward them if people seek to follow him. C.S. Lewis, reflecting on this, gives this observation. He says, if you, this is what people think. If you keep a lot of rules, God says, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. Lewis goes on. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. Every time you make a decision, you change. Every time you follow an action, you shift. He goes on to say this, And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other state. There is a cause and an effect. Complacency happens. Wisdom does not. And with each one of these decisions, which is an expression of our character, our character causes and shapes our conduct. Our character affects our conduct. But the opposite is also true, is that our conduct, what we do, in turn, shapes and forms our character. And the concern of Proverbs is this is that what we do now has effects that will be with us forever and ever, world without end. So given this conditional nature of seeking wisdom, this chapter, this proverb, then goes on to describe the three effects of the cause of seeking wisdom. And that if you seek wisdom, there are three effects, there are three things that result. The first one is this, is that if you seek wisdom, you will find God. Verse 5 lets us know, if you seek wisdom, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Knowledge in Scripture is always a relational knowledge. It is always a personal knowledge. It is not abstract information. It is an interaction with the living God. And what God is promising is that if you seek me, God says, you will find me, and you will find me for all that I am worth, and you will find that I am the most precious, satisfying, comforting, and safe thing that you could ever find ever. If you seek wisdom, you will find God. The reason for this is that the two of them are interconnected. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth, knowledge and understanding come. Why does wisdom come from God? Because there is no other source. It comes from him. Knowledge and understanding are his. They don't come from anywhere else. And if you are pursuing wisdom, it will end up 
with you seeking God and knowing Him and leading you to Him. We, here in Southern Maryland, live in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. What this means is that when rain falls anywhere in the green area on the map, it eventually lands in the Chesapeake Bay. From areas as far west as West Virginia and Virginia, even six hours north into New York State. That when the water falls, that water will then travel into streams, those streams will travel into rivers, those rivers will eventually come into the Chesapeake Bay, and they will eventually lead into the ocean. Similarly, seeking wisdom will lead you to God. Where you begin, it will lead you to God and it will lead you to a knowledge of God. And when you do so, when you seek wisdom and you find God, you will find that he is the one who stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's got a whole lot more to give. He is the one who is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He protects them and their wisdom protects them. He is the one who guards the paths of justice and he watches over the way of his saints. God is the one who will do this. So the first thing that occurs as a consequence, as an effect, is if you seek wisdom, you find God. The second thing that occurs is that you seek wisdom, and the proverb tells us, is that you will find the way of wisdom. You will find, you will find the path. The description throughout Proverbs is that there is the way of the wise and there is the way of the foolish. There is the way of the righteous and there is the way of the wicked. It says in verse 7, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. You will walk in the way of wisdom and it will deliver you from the way of evil. There are two ways. There is not a third. There is the way of wisdom and there is the way, and the, there is, there is the way of evil. Then what happens next is that the proverb then gives two examples of how seeking God and seeking wisdom, as we walk in the way of wisdom, how it delivers us. And it shows us that we find the way of wisdom, it delivers us from devious men. Verse 12 says it delivers from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Well, who are these men? Of course, it can be women too. Who are these people? Well, they're often highly successful, powerful, formidable people. They are people that you want to impress, that you want to be included by. They are the people that you want on your side, or at least you want to be them to think of you as on their side. And what happens is that as they invite you in, they draw you into their darkness. The term that's used here is that they are men of perverted speech. And so that's not limited to crass words and sexual joking. But a perverted speech is speech that where words are turned upside down and inside out. You easily see this in our news and our media through newscasters, politicians, and other people that are manipulators in our society. The ways that words such as justice or Christian or Jesus 
are turned to mean the exact opposite. Positive words that are turned upside down to be negative things. And what happens is that by seeking wisdom, you walk in the way of wisdom and the effect is very, very practical. You know what to do. You have discernment when you come across perverse speech and you know how to live life in the way of wisdom to the fullness of joy, to a joy-filled, abundant life. Other religions will tell you what you are to do and what you are to think. And what Christianity wants is God wants to give you wisdom to walk in living faith with the living God. So it delivers you from devious men. But it also, the way of wisdom, delivers you from deadly women. Verse 16, and of course, obviously this could be men or women. But as he speaks to his son, he says this. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Notice here that the key phrase is that the adulteress with her smooth words, that the gateway of the evil path, both with the devious men and with the deadly woman, the, smooth, the pathway for both of them is through speech. The pathway through both of them is through words that have been distorted, twisted, and corrupted. And the wise discern and are shrewd and are perceptive of a path that leads to death instead of leading to life. This connection here of devious men and of deadly women and of their words leading people away from God, Tim Keller reflects on this up on the situation in Manhattan and on the state of Christianity in America. And one of his observations was this. He said, one of the greatest obstacles to faith is that nearly all singles outside of the church are sleeping with each other, and the majority of singles inside the church are also sleeping with each other. And aside from that, there's just the broader sexual lack of sexual ethic and sexual purity, in addition to pornography usage and all kinds of other sexual exploration. And he says, Keller says, this is a major problem for there to be revival or for people to be coming to faith, faith in Christ. And his reason, and he gives, and he gives this reason, he said there was a college pastor who he worked with who used to meet up with you know, college students and maybe they were on break and he would get together with him, the students. And as they would get together, they'd get together, they would have coffee and they'd share about their, you know, how the semester was going. And when the conversation turned to how their spiritual life was going, it wasn't uncommon that the student might start to say something like this. They'd say, well, you know, I've, I've got a lot of doubts and it's not going so well. I've got a lot of doubts and questions about my faith. You know, I, t I took a philosophy class, and I've been really rethinking some things. Or I, I took a science class, and, you know, that's really shaken the foundation of my faith. I'm not really sure if I believe this anymore or if, it, or if it really makes a whole lot of sense. I've got a lot of, you know, intellectual doubts and questions. At which point, the college pastor would pause and say, 
So who have you been sleeping with? And he said at that point what happened is that the person's eyes would get really big and they'd be like, how did you know? How, how did you know? And then after that, a real conversation would ensue. And all that is, is that's just a modern example of what verse 17 says. Is that with the forbidden woman who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. I mean, this makes sense, right? I mean, when you're engaged in behavior that is wrong but is seductive, you want to find reasons to disbelieve your moral convictions. You want to find reasons why you think that the Bible doesn't apply to you or that it's not true. You want to find reasons to silence your conscience or to cover it up or to callous it. You want to find that. And so it's not uncommon. And what you see here is that someone's conduct shapes their character and it shapes their beliefs, and it shapes whether or not they're walking down the path of life or down the path of death. But the way of wisdom delivers from the devious men, and the deadly woman delivers from the forbidden woman with her smooth words. Smooth words that all of a sudden, that when someone's speaking, and as people rationalize this, yeah, I don't really believe this a whole lot anymore. You see what's happened is that the conduct has shaped, their conduct has shaped their character. But if you seek wisdom, you find the way of wisdom, and in walking in the way of wisdom, it leads you to life. But the Solomon makes the point abundantly clear, lest we forget it. In verse 18, he goes a step further and he says, For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back nor do they regain nor do they regain the paths of life we we live in an age where our society and our educational system wants to get you to think that what you do and how you interact with this world is separate from who you are it wants you to think that there is this buffer between you and who you are at your innermost being and how the expressions of yourself and how they occur in this world by what you say, by what you think, and by what you do. And in particular, our society really, really wants you to think that your conduct, that your sexual conduct, that your exploration, that take your pick of whatever it is, that the things that you're involved in, that that is separate from you as a person. That you are the one who is the objective observer who is participating in these different activities, that it doesn't affect you. That couldn't be any farther, of the, farther than the truth. What Proverbs is making clear is particularly in this realm of, of the deadly woman here, what Proverbs is making particularly clear is that, one, there is no such thing as a one-night stand. That when our sexuality gets involved, things get complicated, and they get complicated really, really fast. And they get complicated, and they affect the core of you, or who you are, and they affect your character. You are not separated from it. You are not isolated from it, but you are shaped, you are shaped and changed by it. Now, I can understand that you're sitting here, and you may be thinking like, whoa, that just took a turn quickly. But let me encourage you with this. 
is that for those of you who are in the bondage of sexual sin, those of you who are in the bondage of guilt and shame for things that you have done, that you have tried to justify and tried to explain away and tried to convince yourself as good and right, for those of you who, are, who have been in or are in the bondage of, of pornography and it's eating away at your soul and it's eating away at your relationships and it's eating away at your friendships and it's just been distorting the, your outlook on the world and you're adrift in the ocean and you don't even realize it or maybe you're beginning to realize it. Maybe you're beginning to realize it. That if you're one who is here today who is in the bondage of sexual sin or the bondage of pornography, there is an almighty Savior. You cannot deliver you. But there is one who can. And the one who can is the one who is wisdom, who is the embodiment of wisdom, who is the one who broke the power of sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And the one who is offering you a path to life, life eternal, life abundant, a path of restoration. And the question that is before you right now is, are you going to walk down a path of wisdom that leads to life or down a path that leads to death? And before, and Jesus stands before you and he is inviting you for you to fall down in prayer and to give yourself to him as your Lord and as your Savior, or to fall down again and give yourself to him again as your Lord and your Savior, as the one who would deliver you and who needs to deliver you. And you will find that what happens is that as you seek God and as you seek wisdom and as you begin to walk in the path of wisdom and begin to walk in the path of and path of God, not only do you find God, but you also find wisdom. And God begins to take the pieces that you have scattered apart and restore them together. To move you into a place of healing and wholeness. A place where you know God, and you know his wisdom, and you know the fullness of life. And you will find that his wisdom and God himself will guard your path. So before you, there is this condition a cause and effect, if you seek wisdom, if you do so, you will find God. If you seek wisdom, you will find the way of wisdom to walk in it. And if you seek, if you seek wisdom, you will find the third thing in this passage, which is you will find eternal delight. Verse 20 through 22 says, so, here's what happens. Here's the consequence and result. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off. Who are the wicked? Those that are not on the path, on the way of wisdom. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be, the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This phrase here, for the upright will inhabit the land, that is Old Testament code for eternal rest and delight. Certainly a reference to Abraham who was called to a land, but the New Testament tells us that Abraham looked forward to a heavenly city whose foundation and designer was God himself. 
And what Scripture promises is that if you seek wisdom, you will find God. If you seek wisdom, you will find the way of God. If you seek wisdom, you will find eternal delight, which comes through Jesus Christ and through knowing him and through living with him and living for him. How do you do this? Let me be very practical. I'm going to ask you to make two decisions as we head into 2020. The first decision that I'm asking you to make is that you would commit to regularly reading Scripture. This week in our connection as it comes out, there will be links to a couple different Bible reading plans. It's something that we've talked about before here. If you have questions about that, I'd love to help you. If you download the ESV Bible app, there are a number of Bible reading plans that are there. You can also get them emailed to you on a daily basis. There is no substitute. We talk about this regularly because there is absolutely no substitute for you knowing the Word of God and reading the Word of God and appropriating the Word of God in your own life. That's the first decision that I'm asking of you, is that you would commit to reading your Bible this year. Maybe not every day, maybe shoot to do it five days a week. Maybe seek to get through the New Testament over the, course of the, over the course of the year or read through the whole Bible of the year or a portion of the Bible over the course of the year. But to commit to some sort of plan and share it with somebody to encourage you on that journey. The second thing I'm asking you to decide to do is that you would decide once to attend worship every single Sunday of the year. That scripture reveals, as summarized in our confession of faith, that the ordinary means of grace are the word of God, prayer, the sac- and the sacraments. Is that the ordinary way that people grow in wisdom, the ordinary way that people have more of the grace of God in their life, is because they come together with other Christians for worship, to hear the word of God, to pray together, to worship together and to celebrate the sacraments together. In fact, there is, you know, there is, this is the the single most important thing that you can decide to do this year for your spiritual growth and to walk in the way of wisdom is to make a decision once to worship every single Sunday of this year. I say that you need to make this decision to worship, to decide once to worship every single Sunday of the year because the reality is is that you will either decide once that you are going to worship every single Sunday or you will decide every week. And on Friday night or on Saturday night or on Sunday morning, based upon how you're feeling, based upon what's going on in your life, based upon how late you stayed up watching Netflix the night before or hanging out with your friends, based upon the weather, our Sunday attendance declines every time it rains. It's not just us, it is true of most churches in America. When it's raining, people just don't go to church. They don't stop them from going to work. They don't stop them from going to the store. But if it rains, people just don't go to church on those days. And so the decision that you have is the reality is is that you will make a decision. You will have a choice to decide once that you'll be in worship every Sunday over the course of the year. Or every week you'll be wrestling through this based upon how you feel and and, and based upon what's going on at that particular moment. Complacency and drift happens. Wisdom does not. It is sought after, and it needs to be sought after. So decide once to attend worship this year. Again, notice the nature of this passage, the conditional nature of the cause and effect. If you seek wisdom, if you raise your hand for understanding, 
If you seek it like silver, if you hunt it out like treasure, if these things, then you will find God and find the way of wisdom and find eternal light. But don't make it an if. Like, don't make it an if. Call out for wisdom. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver and you will find God. Seek God and you will find him for all that he is worth. Yeah, 2020 is going to be an interesting year and a challenging year. But seek wisdom and find God. Seek God and find wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, you are the source of all truth. You are light, and in you there is no darkness. Indeed, in every moment we are being shaped by the decisions that we make, for those decisions either lead toward you or lead away from you. So, Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would work in us, that we would be a people who seek wisdom, who seek you, and that you would grow us in wisdom so that we would walk in the way of wisdom, so that we would experience the eternal delight that begins now of knowing you, of seeking you, and living for you, and living with you. Lord, thank you that you are truth. Father, I do pray for my friends here, who, particularly for those who are stuck in some sort of bondage because they have walked down the path of evil. And Father, I do pray for your spirit to grab hold of them, that they would not run from you, but that they would turn to you. And in turning to you, they would experience deliverance and freedom from knowing you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.